You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season 12, episode one. Victory is a Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter from Detroit, Michigan. She's one of nine siblings who got her start in singing in the Boys and Girls Choir of Detroit, founded by her father, John Boyd. Victory made her first solo recording on Jay-Z's Rock Nation label and went on to collaborate with Kanye West for his 2019 album, Jesus is King. Her most recent album, Glory Hour, is an inspirational 18-track collection marking her first gospel album. In our conversation, Victory shares about her upbringing in a vibrant musical family, the discipline of spontaneity, along with the deep spiritual roots that inform her work as an artist. Victory shares with me about her journey of finding her identity rooted in inheritance rather than striving after acceptance. I'm your host, Stephen Roach, and this is the Makers and Mystics podcast, the podcast for art-driven seekers of truth and lovers of life. Victory, what an honor it is to sit down with you for a conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Makers and Mystics podcast. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yes, absolutely. Well, listen, I want to dive right in, and I'd like to start at the very beginning. Tell us how this journey of music began for you. Yeah, well, my journey starts in Detroit, Michigan. My parents were the founders of the Boys and Girls Choirs of Detroit. And uh, that was founded in 1996. I was born in 94. And um, by the time I was four years old, I had the opportunity to join the choir. And, you know, the rule was you had to be six years old to join. But my parents broke the rules for me, not because they had the illusion that, oh, my, our baby girl is is the exception. No, it was because I wouldn't let them have peace until they let me sing. Uh, as a four-year-old, they, would, they wouldn't hear the end of it, especially because my older brother, so I, I have eight siblings, so wow. three older siblings. And my, my older brother, he was five years old and I was fine with both of us not being able to sing. But as soon as he turned six, he got to join and I was not having it. I was, <laughs> I was like, there's no way he's bigger than me and more qualified than me. And, you know, all the things that <laughs> you amazing. Did. And so, yeah. So shortly after he joined, they made the exception for me to join. And the thing is, I had to prove that I deserved the right to sing, you know, it was like, that was this start, like trying to fill shoes that were way bigger than me, but believing that this is what I'm supposed to do. And mm-hmm. even if I have to grow into it, you're not going to, you're not going to catch me being, I don't know, unprepared, unqualified, <laughs> un- whatever it is. So it kind of set me up for my whole career to take it very seriously, to have a gravity and a weight to music because 
it's not a given, you know, if that, if anything that I learned from that, Mm -hmm. you know, from my, just my start is that, you know, you're not entitled to this experience. (laughs) You know, this is a gift. This is a privilege. And how will you spend the privilege and the gift of being able to sing, uh, you know, and you better spend it wisely or else it's going to be revoked. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Wow. That's good. So you've had this sense of calling toward music since your early childhood. And then talking about just this pursuit and it's it's a privilege and not a given. I love that. Tell me more about how you walked that out from that point forward. Did you get some training? You know, did you what did you do in your pursuit of music? Yeah. So like every we had rehearsals just about every day as in the choir. And, you know, there were, there was trainings, there was summer music camp. It was a whole program in the inner city of Detroit. And so, yeah, with my parents being the directors and instructors and facilitators, you know, there were all sorts of opportunities to grow either in the choir or even at home. And so like, even at home, we would have rehearsals around the dinner table and, and just writing, I guess people call them writing sessions now, but really back then it was just spontaneous mm-hmm. singing. Like my dad would, he he could even just only have a phrase and then sing that phrase over and over again while beating on the table. Cause that was, uh-huh. he didn't play like a instrument that has notes and chords aside from his voice, but he, his thing, big thing was rhythm. So he would always like, he would just break it down with the beat. Yeah. And then he would dole out harmony parts. Like he might have a phrase like, walking in the light. he would like give each person like he might give that part to me so I'm singing that part and then like he'll give that part to my brother and then yes. before you know it it's six of us singing around this beat with all these different parts that our dad gave us and then and then once you have your part, that's where you start from. But then yeah. you get to improvise on top of that. So it's like five different six voices improvising on top of the original part you started with. And this was like our dinner table, like yeah, <laughs> times a week. It's just the normal thing. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, now that you've got rhythm flowing in my bones here, I can't, I can't stop moving. But my next question is simply, when do I get to come to dinner? Because that sounds like a party. <laughs> oh, you know what? Like I'm starting to get back to these roots. Uh, I had yeah. over last night. We had literally had dinner, and then afterwards we did it. Spontaneous yeah. worship session yeah not like your typical what you think it's supposed to be according to the worship genres like yeah like we it's different (laughs) 
Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, tell me more about that and tell me more about uh, this spontaneity that seems like it's really at the root of your songwriting and your musical experience tied into your faith journey as well. Like, talk to me more about this spontaneity and, and how that fuels the creative work you're doing. Yeah. You know, it's really at the deepest level of who I am, that has been my experience. And I didn't realize that it was something valuable because, you know, as a teenager, I, I, I started to look down on this kind of like spontaneous way of creating that, you know, I've seen my whole life. Um, and I was like, no, I want to write real songs, not, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and so I developed this like aversion to like creating anything that doesn't make sense. And I wanted to just like meticulously go through all the layers of a narrative and a story and, you know, the poetry and how everything is symmetrical and all of these things. And I really got deep into craftsmanship, mm-hmm. which is why a lot of my earlier works are very thick and, and dense and, and concepts and narratives and all of these things. But then in 2019, I worked, I had the opportunity to work with Kanye mm-hmm. and I was like, he just undid every preconceived notion I had about what it means to write a song and what it means to, what qualifies an expression as being legitimate. Mm -hmm. I thought an expression was qualified as being legitimate because of how much effort you spent in crafting and making it rhyme and being meticulous in the patterns and this is clever and that. I thought that's what makes it legitimate. What Kanye showed me is that the merits comes from the merits of your existence. Mm -hmm. You are legitimate. And anything that comes from you is legitimate because it is it is an extension of you. So even if you're sitting there, <laughs> I'm like, that took no thought, no effort. And then I just literally sat there and watched that expression become the heartbeat of the whole song. And I'm like, whoa, it is valid. It is. Mm-hmm. And then it took me a minute and I'm like, oh, snap. That's what my dad been doing my whole life. And I was trying to get away from it. Wow. (laughs) And so then I started to realize that, oh, snap, I'm working too hard. Mm -hmm. There's so much that is for free that if you let yourself receive it, you know, see, that's the problem. There's so much that is available to us. You know, there's a song that says the best things in life are free. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, can you receive? We have a problem with the concept of grace. You know what I mean? If I didn't earn it, there's no way it could be true, or there's no way it could be real. There's no way it could be a hit if I didn't work the labor for two years crafting. Mm-hmm. But it's like, when we real, especially as Christians, because this principle is true 
universally in that, okay, there are other spirits and, and you can partner spiritually with any spirit and it will take you beyond your intellect. It will take you beyond. And so a lot of people have creative processes where they, they know the best things are things that you can't just logically figure out. Yes. And so they have their means of accessing the spirit realm in order to get ideas that they wouldn't naturally just think of. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's why a lot of people create while they're high or they're drunk or they're, you know, all these different things. But the thing about it, when you're partnering with those different spirits, those spirits don't love you. They're side effects that come. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yes. When you partner with the Holy Spirit, there is a thing in that, He's a jealous God, and so you can't just, oh, I'll partner with him today and partner with Baal tomorrow and partner with right. No, you have to be consecrated, and it's not just for the music. It's like it's a lifestyle being belonging to him, and therefore you have the privilege to be his vessel and collaborate with him in creativity. Only people that belong to him get to host him and and be a host vessel for his spirit and so with that yeah there's more responsibility but there is no greater creative partner than the creator of the entire universe come on who spoke a word and boom there was light boom but i mean just think now he's speaking through you yes like the grunts and the moans, even if they're, see, this is what praying in tongues. See, folks will be like, they'll have the freedom to pray in the spirit and to pray in tongues and know that, oh, it's perfectly fine that I have no clue what I'm saying because the Holy Spirit is praying through me. But when it comes to music, they'll get all insecure and like, oh, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I don't know if it doesn't make sense or is it, did it rhyme or did it? No. And this, this is what I, what I saw with Kanye when we were working on the album Jesus is King. And he probably wasn't thinking anything spiritual. Or, it's just his way of life. Like, that's just <laughs> him on the daily, regardless. <laughs> but I was like, it's, it's the same concept. He's not holding it against himself, the fact that he doesn't know what he's saying or singing. He's giving it license to come out anyway. And it's the same as like, you know, you might, you won't know the language that you're praying, but you just have faith and believe that it's powerful and that it's important, that it's necessary and that it's doing a work and you wouldn't dare hinder it from coming forth. And so it's the same if you could do that same thing, but through melodies, but through rhythms, but through uh, wor- even words, it's like, I used to be so embarrassed. Like, oh, my dad is saying, yeah, 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 na, 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 ya, yo. Like just random phrases. Now I'm like, let it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let it out. Oh, like, and don't hold it, don't hold it against yourself because you, it doesn't make sense to you. Mm-hmm. But then what I learned is, you know, cause the, the, the writing experience with EA was like, there would be that raw freedom of expression recording that might be super long. And then my job was to go in there with my 
meticulous brainiac kind of, cause that's what, I mean, you could, you could, I was pretty good at crafting, you know, mm-hmm. and making mm-hmm. it make sense. Like, but I did it on the foundation of freedom. Yes. Of, so good. Raw substance. So it's like, he brought that out, that raw substance, that freedom. And then I brought in this like craftsmanship to, okay, what about this narrative? What if, what if we have this, this theme as a through line through, <laughs> you know, just all sorts of things like that. That's so good. Yeah. So it's like, now I know the application for the structure and the discipline and the, okay, sit in there and crack the code. There's a, there's, uh, there's need and application for that, but it's not first. Mm -hmm. I, I learned to not measure the validity of the expression according to my ability to craft it. Even if I never cracked the code, it still was necessary to be released. Mm-hmm. And cracking the code, like that's a whole skill set in and of itself. But whether you accomplish, whether you master that skill set or not, it doesn't take away the, the merits or the validity of your expression. What I hear you saying, you know, even from the beginning of our conversation, you were talking about the spontaneity, but then how it was a privilege, it was an honor, it was not something entitled. And so you developed a certain discipline, but I loved what you said that the discipline comes later. And the way that I've put that in my own terms is it's almost like we gain the craftsmanship, we learn our craft, we learn the discipline so that when the spontaneity comes, we have a vocabulary for the spirit to speak, if that makes sense, you know? So it's almost like the discipline serves that foundation of freedom that you're talking about. Am I hearing you right in that? True. This is true. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So what would you say then about your own life? Because that makes me think only a lifestyle of abiding mm. in the presence, only a lifestyle of abiding in the word, only a lifestyle of abiding in that place could really prepare you so that when that moment of spontaneity comes, you're ready to respond to it. Talk to me a bit about how your day-to-day spiritual life impacts your creative process in that way. Yeah. You know, this has been a journey, you know, because when you do music as a career and a profession, you know, you develop a relationship with music where you can't have the levity or the, you know, when you sit down to work on music, it's like to practice for the gig that you better not mess up. <laughs> with. You know, it's like all the, all the things that, you know, probably as early twenties, that was my experience with music. You know, uh, you know, my family and I, we sang in central park. We, we migrated to the New York area in 2006 and then for, 10 years from 2006 to 2016, just about every day we were singing in Central Park. And, um, you know, so so singing and music and, and all of that 
definitely was a spiritual experience, but it was also, it wasn't a luxury either. It was, you know, it's like, it wasn't something that, you know, you, you, you can't like, maybe we will, maybe we won't. It's like, and, and the training that goes into it and all of that. And so then later on, I started to discover, and this is probably even as, as not that long ago, maybe like pandemic where I started to, I would be in the studio. I would stop working on the songs that I have to work on because this is my next album and I've got to make a hit and I've got to, you know, all the pressures for why yeah. music needs to work so that all of this can stay afloat, all of that. I would step aside and just sing scripture. He who dwells in the secret place and I didn't think that it was for anything or anyone other than myself to experience and taste God for a moment. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. And so the, I guess I'm saying it's a journey for me, I guess in, in connection with music. I've always, I've always had a deep help faith and I always carry my Bible everywhere and, you know, find nuggets of things that he wants to share with me in, in a day. Like that, that's ever since being a young girl has been my thing. Mm -hmm. And so abiding has looked different. Now music is one of my greatest tools for, I want to say for survival, but it's not just to survive. Because if, if you only worship to survive, then what will you do when you don't feel like your life is threatened? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you won't worship. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's it was only contingent upon you needing to get by. Mm -hmm. And so it is for survival, but it's also a privilege. Like even if you're well-being isn't threatened mm -hmm. there still is no better way to spend your life than pouring out praises to the king of kings how do you navigate the complexities of, of the business side of art and the spiritual side of what you do? Yeah, well, I'm doing it a lot better now than I did four or five years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, because when I got signed, you know, I got signed by Jay-Z. And so I went straight from singing in Central Park every day for 10 years to being in rooms with the most famous people in the world. Wow. And I didn't know how to... Like internally, you know, what's going on internally? Like, how do you view that? Like, it's just like, I think, I guess maybe David probably would have felt like this, always being in the field, taking care of sheep, playing his instrument in the back, you know, not even being invited to see special guests that came to his own house. Like, and now he's before Saul, like in a, right. like the king of Israel. And he's being championed because he just defeated Goliath. Like, all of that, like, 
internally. But here's the thing. David had a confidence. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a confidence like that. I mean, I had a confidence in my song. I knew mm-hmm. what I was capable of with my yes. song. Like, put me on the mic and I know. Uh, Come on. <laughs> I love it. But to exist in that space, I felt really small and I felt like they were really big. And, you know, I'm just like this kid, like, I mean, I'm like 22 years old, like I'm really small and they're really, really big. And, you know, I, I, I just sing, write my songs and I, you know, I don't have that very many of them, but I, you know, but like God gave me this stature that I didn't know I, I should have, I, I had to grow into receiving and accepting that I too am powerful. And not only that, they esteem me because they see me up here too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they see the Holy, they see the Holy spirit in me. Right. And that's something that's scarce in their world. Mm-hmm. So it's like, they can't get it from any other. Well, they could, if, if they're in relationship with other people that are also vessels of the Holy spirit, but it, it's scarce. And so I didn't know how to process things like that back then. So I was mostly just always grateful that they let me come or, you know, just always like, so, um, see, I didn't recognize that I didn't earn my place in the room in the first place. And so therefore I'm not going to maintain my place here by earning and being, making sure I'm good enough and making sure I don't mess up the note or don't, you know, it like, that's not the spirit in which got you here. And that's not the spirit that's going to maintain you here. And so, but there, there was a lot of like trying, like, how do you even try to be one of them? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, like, just <laughs> yeah. yourself, you know? And so professionally, there's always been a thing where, you know, in order to justify your place, on this roster or to justify your place in this life, you got to have this many views, this many sales, this many, right. you got to sell this many tickets. You know, like there, those, those things still exist even now, but I've learned to not come down from being seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, which means that I'm seated above all of these things because you can be, you can, if you're beneath all of these things, now you're like, oh, I got to climb. I got to climb to reach it one day. But if you're above it, now it's like you're free and it's you're not spending your days making efforts to one day attain what they have. So good. Now you're... Spending your days learning, how can I share what I have since I'm up here? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so how good. can I create an offering to the world and to these systems that would help people to awaken them to come into the higher mountain? Mm-hmm. You know, the mountain of the Lord, it's higher than the mountain of the rock. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you can't do that unless you're secure and and you're not like, oh, okay, if I work hard enough, I'll one day be like you. 
So it's almost like you're saying you have to have your sense of identity rooted in something deeper than the affirmation of man. You have to have your identity rooted in something deeper than even your own talent or your own creative abilities. Yeah, essentially, essentially. And and I, I guess I'm processing it as I speak too, in that, you know, I haven't quite narrowed down the exact terminology for it. But I just know that at the beginning of my commercial career, I felt like, oh, if I don't keep everybody happy, if I don't, you know, if I don't measure up in sales, if I don't, you know, all of these things, then I'm going to disqualify my existence in this space. Whereas none of those things were what got me in the space in the first place. Yeah. And now I'm able to see, oh, no, this is just where God has ordained me to exist mm-hmm. and not simply for the purpose of playing the game of records selling sales and uh, i mean yeah we want to get the word out we want we want to reach as many people possible but it's like the validity of my artistry is not determined by the metrics of sales and numbers and tickets and all of the things and how many appearances I have on TV shows and things like that. The more I can accept myself, regardless of these external factors, the more the quality of what I put out is more potent. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. And so, and it, it's from a place of confidence and purpose and calling, not from a place of, chasing the stats and all of that because okay here's 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 a greater point and this is something the lord has worked on me with of of setting me free from the poverty spirit and i i probably still have it to some degree but like poverty spirit is like the poverty mindset is like when you ain't never had nothing right and so therefore you feel like in order to have something you have to chase and amount to something. And that if you don't take these actions of pursuing these things, then you won't ever be anything and you won't ever have anything. And so it's like you being somebody and you being something and you having something in life is directly contingent upon you chasing. And, and there's, there's some degree of truth to that, but the, well, there's some degree of truth to you reap what you sow, right? There's a principle there, but there's also grace. There are things that we reap that Jesus has sowed for us. It comes from a place of inheritance, from a place of sonship. You know, you even look at the the parable of the um, the, the son. I forget the, the name of the parable, but he he went away and squandered his money, and then oh yeah, prodigal he, son. Yeah, the prodigal son. Yeah, yeah. So the prodigal son, but then he came back to his father, and in the presence of his father, he was no longer in poverty. His father seated him above all the servants, above all the next right next to him with all the abundance of the storehouse all the abundance and he put this the ring on his finger the ring signifies the authority 
And so I'm sure the prodigal son started working for his father again after that moment. He wasn't lazy doing nothing after he came home, but it wasn't to survive. Mm-hmm. It was from a place mm-hmm. of authority because there's a lot to steward in my father's house, yes. in my father's vineyard. But yes. this is not, oh, if I don't do this, I won't have, I won't be anybody. If I, if I don't go to secure the bag and chase and, and win and all of these things, I won't amount to anything significant in life. Mm-hmm. And so carrying that yoke of all of my worth in life is contingent upon me making it. So I better hit it out the park. Mm-hmm. I better go in there and secure the deal. I better make this much money this year write this many songs, get in this many sessions, or else I will have failed. And if Mm -hmm. I fail, I'll still be nobody. Mm. That paradigm pretty much runs the entertainment industry. Yes, right. And I wasn't exempt from it. I came from the streets, too. It's usually most entertainment industry came from we were at the bottom and now we're here and we got to stay here. So now we got to do everything in our power to never get back to the bottom because I am somebody now. Whereas when you accept this adoption from the father and you understand the implication, you like you just look at Jesus, how everything was father, father. We thank you, Father. Everything was Father. He was everything was operating from Father. And he was not looking at Herod and them as, oh, I need to be successful one day. He's like, I am already the highest form of success that anybody could ever be <laughs> in all of eternity. Like yes. we too have this opportunity. Mm-hmm. But then you have to walk in it. You can't be walking around like, oh, if I could just talk to that person because they know that person and they'll get me in the room with that person. And then how will everybody see me at that point? Like, (laughs) Uh (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. It's so good. You know, everything you're talking about aligns perfectly with the theme of this season on the podcast, which is about our creative process and our sense of self. It's all about how the art we make relates to our sense of identity. And what I hear you talking about is that your art making and your music becomes more of a stewardship of a gift you've been given. It's more of an inheritance rather than something that you won from striving. Exactly. It's it's not so much about validation as it is that stewardship. And something that I've said before that reminds me of what you're saying is that we perform as an outflow of our being accepted by God rather than as an effort to be accepted by God or man. It's like Mm -hmm. we perform as an outflow of our acceptance rather than as an effort to be accepted. Right, that's it. Well, Victory, before we go, I want to ask you about your lyrics and particularly the lyrics on your latest album, The Glory Hour. 
Because one thing I've noticed about them is that they are steeped in gospel imagery, and yet they also tell such a deeply personal story of your own life experience. So I'd love to hear you riff just a few minutes about where the inspiration behind your lyrics comes from and how they speak both from your own identity and experience as an artist, while also embodying such a weighty and eternal truth. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was in an accident when I was 18 years old and um, I it was traumatic. I broke my jaw, so they had to wire my mouth shut. I lost teeth, mm. I broke my arms. So I couldn't play the guitar. Pretty much I was hit in all of the places of expression. Wow. And that experience took me, I, w- I was quite acquainted with hardships at that point, but I had, this was a whole other level of, this wasn't just hardships. This was like, oh, I felt like I died. Like my identity died because if Victory's not singing, then what other purpose does she have in life? If she's not playing, like, you know, it's like the jaws of Victory were wired shut. What happened there is I got to feel and experience deep darkness. And what also happened there is I had to, in order to overcome, which I didn't even know it was possible to overcome that. I just thought it was, I'm done, dead, like it's just, that's it. But what I discovered was a deep glory as well. A glory that's not contingent upon my ability to be well, a glory that's not contingent upon my ability to open up my mouth and sing, or the glory was solely based off of Jesus and the fact that he defeated death when he rose from the dead. And therefore not even death has authority over his victory. And Jesus gave his victory to me. Mm, come on. <laughs> I have the power of the glory of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. I was still beat up. I was still crippled in all of these things, but I had this deep revelation of glory. Deep at 18 years old. And then that set my whole creative journey, my whole life's mission on a path. I wanted to figure out how to craft stories of darkness and glory. Mm-hmm. Why darkness? Why not just glory? Because you cannot understand the revelation of the power of glory without it being contrasted against darkness. You would not understand the implications of the resurrection of Jesus lest he first went to the cross. For every point of darkness, there is a corresponding point of glory that is on the way. If you put your faith and your hope in the right source. Yes. Because not every power has the authority to overcome the deepest and darkest places. 
It's like, okay, if you have a migraine, yeah, sure. Advil has authority to help your migraine, right? So you can put your hope in this Advil to alleviate you of this darkness. That is your migraine. But if you just had a heart attack, you know what I mean? Advil is not a strong enough authority or power to alleviate you from the darkness of that heart attack. You need a corresponding authority that is strong enough to handle that kind of darkness. Yeah. And so there is a weight. It gets dark. There are certain levels and degrees of darkness that are just too weighty, which means you need the weight of glory. The weight of glory, when you put your, oh, I know, I know a power that is strong and that has authority even over this darkness. Yes. It could even be death itself. Oh, I know. So we are never without hope, even in the darkest places, because Jesus descended, the Bible says, Jesus descended to the lowest regions of the earth so that even there, he could reach someone and say, I'll take you on to glory. Would you take me? Nobody else was dead and resurrected. See, this is the thing about all these other religions. I respect you. But when you need glory, does what you put your faith in have authority even over death? When you need a savior that is strong enough, you be you sitting over here taking act. I'm like, that's not strong enough for what you're dealing with. You need, <laughs> you need. That's right. You know, it's like, and and I know without a shadow of a doubt, and I know there are degrees of darkness I've never been to, but I know someone who has been there. He's been to every degree of darkness. And he's come back with the victory. No pun intended, right? He's come back with the victory. <laughs> yeah. Well, Victory, thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Makers and Mystics podcast. I'm going to be revisiting this conversation for months to come. It's so good. So much richness that you've shared with us about your spiritual background as well as your creative process. I'm a fan of your work and I'm looking forward to getting this conversation and your music in front of our audience. Uh, so thank you. Well, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure to have this conversation with you, Stephen. Thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This episode was produced by me, Stephen Roach. If you want to go deeper into these conversations on art and identity, see the show notes of this episode or head over to patreon.com slash makersandmystics and join our creative collective today. You don't have to go this journey alone, my friends. There is a whole crew of people waiting to connect with you. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art. It's